0: Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. We
1: want to welcome Garrett and Tara Kenyon to our service today. I'm going to turn this part over to them and just open your heart to what God wants to do because I'm telling you he wants to do something in your life today. Let's welcome them this morning. Good morning, everyone. It's such a joy and honor to be here with you all this morning. You know, I've been trying to get Garrett all year to just sit down until I give him the microphone, but he keeps shadowing me here and waiting for me to pass it off. So never mind him. He's just going to be here as decoration for a little bit while I share a little bit with you all. It's so wonderful to have the opportunity to come back to the places that sent us out when we were very brand new missionaries. Garrett and I went to the field when we were like 24 years old and um, many of you might have even been at our wedding and that's coming up on our 9th anniversary next month. It's been 19 years since we got married, babe. We're old. We went to the mission field, but we were five, and now we're 20-year veterans nearly. But we just love to be able to visit places that give sacrificially for us to minister to young people in Panama, because you know, I am encouraged by when my colleagues share stories of what the Lord is doing around the world. Don't you get so encouraged when you hear what the Lord is doing around the world? It just reminds us that we're part of a, a big family. The Lord is working in all of us wherever we are, and I love being part of that community. You know, our um, executive director of World Missions, he says that we have more um, locations than McDonald's on this planet, and so you cannot go to a country and be stuck without finding an Assembly of God believers somewhere, and so that is a really good network and a really awesome family to be a part of, and so we don't take that lightly at all. But you know more than anything, I always like to remind people of how important our work is in the local church. Garrett and I are both products of the local church. obviously Garrett is you know the pastor's son of a pastor's son of a pastor's son of a pastor's son he's like the the seventh Stephen or something he's uh you know he grew up in the church with his father and his grandfather as his pastors and the local church nurtured him we just got to celebrate the life of brother bill who poured so much into garrett's life taught him foundations of faith taught him to stand and believe what god said to be true was true and i also grew up as a product just in a very different kind of way do you need a new battery Look at those Kenyan boys working from afar. Didn't skip a beat, did you? Um, but I grew up also as a product of my local church, and that's because my I grew up in a tumultuous, chaotic world my mom had been married three times I had what felt like dad after dad after dad but my mom feared God and she would drop me off at my local assembly of God church in central Florida every time the doors were open and I like to say back in the 80s church was open a lot thank God right if you've been a believer that long you know we used to be in church a lot more often than we do these days and thank God for that because church being open is what saved my life I got to be in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, a weeknight fellowship group, and usually some activity on Saturday. I was with church people all of the time. And you know, I was there alone by myself. Five year old terrible Tara, set loose on her church. And you know, I caused so much trouble that all of the church people started saying, where is this girl from and who does she belong to? We need to figure these things out. But, you know, we had a little Christian school attached to my church growing up. And those families in my church said, you know, this girl's only chance is to grow up in a, in a Christian school. And so they scholarshiped me. They bought my books. They bought my school uniforms. They provided food for my family. And they poured into me and I knew God's word. I grew, up, I grew up reciting God's word. By the time I was in the seventh grade, I had like 60 or 70 chapters of the Bible memorized, not to mention the trivia. I was Bible quiz champion. I could tell you anything, and here I was living in chaos at home, but God's people and God's house were my refuge, and those people practice what they preached. And they poured into me week after week. They took care of my crazy family. They did not grow weary in doing good. That verse is for us today as the church, because you know what? People's lives are messy and chaotic, and it is exhausting to be involved with people like that, but that is what we are called to do as the church. We are the hope of the world. We are the seat of hope to wherever we minister. So these people raised me. They didn't know if I'd turn out Okay, we had we had dinner with them just a year and a half ago, and one of the uh, one of the dads, one of the, brother Randy was his name. He said, "We just always thought we'd be visiting you in jail someday." <laughs> well, guess what? I am not in jail. I am serving the Lord, and I have the opportunity to minister hope to young people in the nation of Panama. Who better for God to choose, right, to be able to see young people and to be able to testify with proof and evidence that God is who he says who he is, and he does what he says he will do. And so I have the opportunity now to minister with my handsome husband and our beautiful children in the nation of Panama. And you know, God has gone before us, just as he did when I was little, and he's paved the way ahead of time. And now we have the opportunity to go right into the public schools, and minister the gospel of Jesus. You know, we go under the the guise of teaching character and ethics, but each principal is allowed to tell us what they'd like us to share about. We give them that authority. They have that authority by the government to invite us in and to tell us what they want us to talk about. And so we say, you know, we can teach about character and ethics. We'd love to talk about Jesus. And they always say, yeah, that's what the kids need. And every time we minister in the high schools, it's like the kids know The students know that that's what they need. They know that Jesus is the answer. It just can't quite form on their lips yet until we're there to speak it out for them. And they're able to receive and accept consciously to receive the Savior that has given everything for them. So we have this beautiful opportunity. We're able to make uh, makeshift altars just like this in their classrooms. We're able to make these altars in their libraries, in their gymnasiums. Many of you have been down with us to minister. You've made those those altars in in dirty gyms and in computer labs and crazy, all kinds of crazy places. And you've seen how the young people of Panama respond to Jesus. It is an awful, awesome privilege. Garrett and I, when we first visited Panama for the first time, we just knew like, oh, the Holy Spirit's up to something here, and we want in on it. We could just sense and know that the Holy Spirit was drawing young people to him. And we knew we had to be part of it. And the Lord has been so gracious to us. We have endured incredible opposition and we've stood graciously. And the Lord has just removed every blockade. Just as we patiently wait for his timing, he removes the blockade, another blockade. And now, finally, after a decade of ministering in Panama, it probably started like three years ago or so, public school principals now call us and say we have a problem and we need you to come and speak we have Thirteen grade girls pregnant, we need you to come in and speak about purity and about the dignity of the body. We have a whole bunch of our students are cutting themselves on the weekends. They're coming with scars from some self-harm. We need you to speak to that issue in our school. They'll call us for all kinds of crazy things, things that are unspeakable in a church because they know that Christ is the only answer, the only remedy that can save these young people from themselves. So we have this beautiful opportunity, and we get to see the Lord move in miraculous, supernatural, New Testament ways wherever we go, and we share every single joy, every triumph with all of you. You've sent us since we were young pups when maybe we weren't going to make it, maybe we weren't going to be effective in ministry but you took that risk on us and you got in the boat with us and said we're going to we're going to see what they can do and we want to thank you all so much for standing with us for being a church that we know prays for us We Kenyans seem to get ourselves into all kinds of squirrely situations, and we need the people of God willing to wake up in the middle of the night and pray us through. And so we thank all of you for being that kind of church that takes our little prayer cards home and prays for our family. Our boys are ginormous. I think you might have seen them. Malachi has passed me up. He's 13 and taller than me, and I'm a pretty tall woman. And so we just ask that you continue to pray for our family. Pray for our boys. This term for us is like that crazy term. Malachi's 13. The next time we come home, we'll be bringing him to college. So this is a crazy term that's important in the spiritual development of our kids. So please pray with us. Pray over our family. Pray for the young people that we're ministering in the nation of Panama. Pray for our national church. You know, we believe so strongly in the strategic position and this prophetic call on our national assemblies of God work in the nation of Panama. Please pray for our leaders. They are awesome awesome men and women of God. They are worthy of the gospel of Christ. They, do, they work day and night for the kingdom. And so please pray with us as we lift up their arms as well and as we partner continuously with them in the work that God has laid for all of us to do in the nation of Panama, that it would be a beacon of light to the world. We love you all so much. Thank you for all of the investment that you have put in us. Thank you for all the prayer support. Thank you for just loving us personally as your family. We love you all so much. We're so grateful to you. Thank
0: you. Good morning. I am so sorry that you do not get the smart one this morning but you get the eye candy. <laughs> I don't know why they always laugh. I don't think it's that funny. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what the deal is. We are excited to be here. It's kind of fun because we're on the tail end of our itineration, and, and now we get to revisit places that we've already been and just get to share a little bit of some of your victories with us. And, uh, you know, it was a few years ago, the last time I was here, and for those of you that are new, just to give you a little update who we are, uh, we are youth missionaries in the country of Panama. I think we have a photo of some amazing people uh, on the screen. Um, yep, that's us. Uh, we prefer the, this side of the photo over here. Uh, we prefer to live life. We don't know how to take a serious photo. If you get one of me, it's because you're lucky <laughs> or blessed, as like my mom and my wife like to say. But we went to the country of Panama uh, over 11 years ago with the idea that we would go into schools and preach the gospel and see God do really great things. And in those moments as we were there and we were, we were doing what God asked us to do our first two years there, uh, the first year was a little bit harder. The second year was a little bit more fruitful. We walked into a school. Uh, the school was a Catholic public high school. Wrap your mind around that, my beautiful Italian church. Catholic public high school you're just saying amen because I said Italian. (laughs) It's the only one you're going to get today. But this Catholic public high school opened the door for us to go in and do ministry, and we weren't even supposed to be there that day. We were supposed to be somewhere else. And out of nowhere, here we are. We're finding ourselves in this moment, and, and there we're, we're in the moment. We, we prayed over the room. The principal said, you had 45 minutes to do your job, and so we went in to do our job, and we were in the moment as one of my team members was giving his testimony, and there at that moment, we had an Acts chapter 2, verse 2 moment. Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says what? And then suddenly. That's it. That's it. And so, and then suddenly, moment, we had the Holy Spirit begin to pour out in a room of 250 students where out of those 250 students, they were beginning to speak in tongues, speak in a language they had never learned before. We didn't even talk about the Holy Spirit. We hadn't even gotten to the point to accept Christ yet. So we had to go back through theology. If you've taken theological classes, we had to get them saved first, explain everything. And there I found myself in a moment where I believe the Lord has jokes for our lives, Because here I am telling the principal and explaining to a principal in my second language what was taking place that day. It's hard enough in your first language. Let me explain it in my second language. Lord, you have jokes every day. I know it. And so here we are, we're in this moment and God is moving and our team is ministering and out of nowhere as I was ending my conversation with the principal and I moved forward and, and then there I was moving forward to the front of the room because I'm in charge and, and everyone's just kind of doing their thing and God is moving and I'm trying to figure out where God wants us to go because mind you, I still only had 45 minutes. Well, there I am as I'm making my way to the front of the room. This little girl, about 13, 14 years old, grabbed my arm, and she challenged me for the first time, and I've done youth ministry for a very long time. And this little girl, 13, 14, looked at me and said, if your God is so real, why does, she, why does he allow this to happen to my life? This little girl introduced herself as Jennifer, and I introduced myself as Pastor Garrett, and she said, if your God is so real, why does he allow my dad to abuse me every night in my life? Why does he allow my dad to hurt me the way that he hurts me? And if your God is so real for the first time, I was excited because this morning my dad took a new job and he was leaving on uh, for for a boat on the, on the canal uh, through a company for six months. And he was going away. And, and there at the breakfast table, as he was had his bags at the door and he was ready to leave, and there at the breakfast table, I was excited because he was leaving. And for the first time in my life, I had six months of peace that he wouldn't hurt me anymore. And there at the breakfast table, he looked at my brother and said, she's all yours. If your God is so real, what did I ever do to deserve the life that he's given me? And in that moment, you better realize that you're walking in the spirit. You better realize that you have churches like this praying for you because you don't have all the answers from school. Only God the Father can give those answers. And we counseled her and talked to her. And that day, 250 students, 95% told us the same story. That was the day that ever changed my life because I walked out of that high school a different person. I walked out with a different mantle because everywhere I go, every school I go, kids run to us and say, are you the missionary that has hope? Are you the missionary that runs a center? Are you the missionary that can help me in my family situation because I need hope? You better have a story to tell. You better have Jesus moving inside of you with the answers because he's the only one that can give those answers. That day was the day that we launched an idea of El Refuge Urban Ministry Center, an idea that took us so long to see become a reality. And now we're in the moment and we were moving and we were moving along and and watching God bring student after student to come to our center to to allow us to break down walls, to allow us to plant seed, to allow us to water seed and, and watch changed lives happen before our very eyes because they were finding hope constantly every time we were open. El Refuge is a a program that's open just a few days a week, and our staff uh, uh, were being pulled together and pouring out themselves on a daily basis into the lives of students until this wonderful pandemic happened. Thank you for that pandemic. But we're a place, we're also a place where we met a little kid named J.C. J.C. was the full circle from Jennifer to then. It was the full circle of the idea that God birthed in our life in that public Catholic high school that day so long ago, and we met JC in another school a a few years later, a few years ago, and we met him, and he was the reason why the Lord invented dodgeball. If you've ever played the game of dodgeball or ever been a volunteer in youth ministry, you should, for one, and two, you should, because if you understand dodgeball, it's where men teach young men valuable lessons, through a rubber ball. Can I get an amen, church? And we're allowed to do it. That's the greatest thing about it. That's why gym teachers love dodgeball so much. Because they can teach it and they're allowed to get away with it. But it's the the thing that I like to use, and so J.C. was the reason, and he came, and I'll never forget, J.C. came, and he would get in fights every single day, and he would just get in these fist fights, and, and finally, after a week, I'm like, J.C., I don't have rules, and I didn't want to create rules, so thanks a lot for that, and now, too, I have to create these rules, and I have to kind of, like, kick you out for a while. Sure enough, the very next day, J.C. was there. Doors were open. He was there. And I'm like, J.C., has anyone ever given you a punishment? No. Okay, that explains a lot. So let's walk through punishments with you real quick. But J.C. was a kid that we connected and began to pour into and began to realize that J.C. came from an abandoned fatherless home. His dad abandoned them when they were three years old and he was living with his mom. And what J.C. grew to knew before our L. Refuge was open was that every day that he would go to school with his mom early in the morning and she would uh, be at work until six or seven o'clock late at night and he would have about six hours on the streets by himself. So what did he learn? He had to learn to fight. He had to learn to fight to protect himself. And J.C., as we began to pour into him and invest in him in time, a few months went by, and his mom wrote us a text message and said, hey, can I meet with you? And I said, great, what did he do or what did I do? Because, see, I I come from the family line that believes that rules are the rubber band. They're like a trampoline that we stretch and we bend in society. My wife comes from the line that rules are the foundation of society and we need rules. They're concrete, they're cement, they can't be moved. And I like to believe that rules are like a trampoline. How much can we bend them? How high can we go? Do you understand? Are you following me? And so I just thought for sure I was was dead in the water with this mom. And so here she meets with us and she said, I don't know what you did to my son, but he's a different young man. I don't know the investment that you made in him. I don't know what you did to him, but he's different. He's changed. He's respectful. He he says, thank you. He says, please. He is a different person since he started coming here. That's the power of God. It's not because of Garrett and Tara Kenyon. It's because God did what he was doing in that young man's life because he got a hold of God. About six months later, I received one of the greatest text messages in the world from a local youth pastor. There, this Youth pastor sent me this video text message, and JC was walking into a swimming pool and he said, Bro, this is all you. And there, JC was dedicating his life to follow God the rest of his days, getting baptized. He was crossing the finish line, per se, in his discipleship model with us and into that youth pastor. And he said, Bro, this is all you, man. And I said, Bro, that's all you. JC was the full circle of why we do what we do, he was the first one to come from that to this. He's the one that now wants to plant churches. Come on, somebody. He's the one that grew up in an abused and, and broken home, and he's the one that wants to see God change lives because God did something different in him. We live in a world where the subject of love is not a favorite one to talk about. It's one that we have to work hard at. It's one that we have to really work really hard to have a conversation about loving our neighbors. Can I get an amen? We are in an impatient world. I understand that because on the East Coast, we believe that the the fast lane is the left lane. Can I get an amen? Amen. Every time I leave this amazing state of New Jersey, no matter what anybody else says, and I have to learn that the fast lane is not the fast lane. Every lane is the fast lane because people like to live in that left lane. I don't understand. Am I right? I don't understand. I don't know what it is about us. We're taught that in, in our DMV classes, that that is the fast lane, and And they just don't get that. I understand that. That's why my windshield is my Holy Spirit. It receives all of my frustration. Can I get an amen? But we live in a very salty world, a place that's very quick, that's, that's very uh, impatient with those around us, and where the Lord asks us to be influencers and to change the narrative everywhere we go. We were asked to be a saturating force, one that would change, and, and it, would, it would just change the continents of man that we encounter. The enemy has taken everything he has and thrown at us in the last year. He slowed us down with roadblocks and a pandemic, and I understand those things because we spent a lot of time trying to remodel 2,000 square feet, and a lot of time, I mean, it took me six years to remodel 2,000 square feet, folks. The enemy wants to shut down the church more than ever before, and what did the church do? It got creative and went online. It changed. It pivoted. But the thing that I want to remind us this morning is this, is that even though we did those things and the enemy shut us down, he hasn't shut down the challenge that Jesus gave to us. That we find in Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 1. And if you have that, if you would open it up this morning and it says this. And I'm reading from the NLT because I just like it. I just like it. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples had gathered around him and he began to teach to them. And he said this verse three God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him and for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Verse seven God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. Verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, say all sorts of things ab- against you because you're my followers. Stop. How many have been mocked or lied about before? How many have done verse 12? How many have been happy about it? If you raise your hand, we will have an altar call right now. Because you are lying. There is not a chance that you were happy about it. But verse 12, and this is where I believe the Lord has jokes for our lives. He wants to smile down on us. Because verse 12, Jesus said, be happy about it. Be glad about it. Because why? For great is the reward that awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets, those that were persecuted in the same way that went on before you. They were persecuted and treated the same way. Come on, church. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's, less, if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out, trampled underfoot as worthless. Verse 14, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives what it gives light. So everyone in the house can see. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I want you to hear how the message says. The message in verse 13, it says this, just a little different, but just listen. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be a salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors on the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You are to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? No, I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a light stand, what does it say? It says shine, keep open the house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt them and people to open up to God the Father. Jesus called us to be light in darkness. It's a simple verse. It's a simple uh, chapter there. it's, It's so simplistic, but yet it's so hard in the world we live in. Can I get an amen? He called us to be salt to everyone that we encounter. He challenged us. And he said, this is what I've commanded you to do. I need you to do this. I need you to take responsibility everywhere you go. I need you to be light bearers. I need you to bring out my flavors on the earth. I need you to bring out my colors on the earth. He asked us, he challenged us. He said, I need you to be a saturating force that will change the narrative everywhere you go three ways that can make a difference, and I promise you, Pastor Randy did not point out to look in any direction this morning, so if you feel guilty, the altars are here, and we'll pray for repentance. Number one, be joyful and stop complaining. Mm. So hard First Thessalonians 5:16 verse 18 says what? Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Be joyful and stop complaining on social media. Woo. <laughs> to serve, to serve and love those around you. Do something that does not benefit me, but benefits him. That's a hard one. Be faithful and consistent. If we want people to see who God is through our lives, not just why, uh, how we respond about going to church, but if we're faithful and consistent in the hard matters, when things don't go our way, when they get our order wrong at Wawa, come on, church, it does happen sometimes. I know it's so hard for it to happen that way. But in those faithful, consistent times, if we do those things, people are watching us. They know who we are. Jesus called us to be a seasoning that brings out the God flavors on the earth. And I know it's not the easiest to to love those who are the hardest to love, but that's what he asked us to do. He asked us to love those around us and, and not to be nervous and not to allow ourselves to shy away from the things that he's put us in. And my favorite is going to Walmart or Target. Not to shop, to watch. Go to Walmart or Target. It is our watering hole that Jesus gave us. Come on, church, you gotta understand that. Just go there, and people watch. And I promise you, God will put you in someone's life to change their narrative, and it won't take long. I promise you it'll be under five minutes. I promise you. But if we would allow ourselves to be used the way he taught us in verse 1 through 11, because he gave us ideas in those verses on how to be salt and light, on how to change the narrative. He said what? He said, uh, he talked about those who are merciful, those who are peaceful, those who hunger and wait for God. Why do we hunger and wait for God? Because he gives us what we need in order to speak. He mentioned about those who are meek in those moments, and he prepared us for what might happen when you do eventually open your mouth and speak. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to mock you. but be glad about it. Come on, church. Be excited. Because why? Because those that went on before you were persecuted in the same way. He says to be salt and light. He, he wrapped it up so eloquently, and then he challenged us, and he said, I don't want you to shy away from impacting those around you. He said, no matter what your current situation is, I want you to understand that we were called to always be called to bring out his seasoning and his color on the earth. doesn't matter what I'm going through. What matters is those around us are still dying, and they still need to encounter God the Father. They still need to encounter Jesus Christ. They still need to know that Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross to save their life. They still need to know those things, no matter what I'm going through. Mother Teresa put it best. She said, intense love, it does not measure. It only gives and gives some more. A few years ago, we met a little girl who's a very definition of this statement. Sarah was her name. And Sarah, we met at a school. We were going into our first girls conference and we were going in and we were just passing out ticket after ticket in local high schools. And we had gone to an area that I knew that was very well known for uh, uh, girls being sold for profit in the area. And I knew that it was a high abuse area. And I I knew that that things were, were going wrong in this area. And so we went in, we would hand out tickets left and right. And Went into our first girls' conference, and I didn't go back to that school for almost two years. Two years later, as we got invited back, the principal said, I know who you are. I know your ministry. I want you to have all week long in my school. Go classroom to classroom. Take your time. Do what you do and fix my issues. No problem. Come on, church. Okay. So there we were in the middle of the week. It was about Wednesday. We were on lunch break. And one of my staff members came up to me and said, you need to meet this little girl. Her name is Sarah. So I said, hi, Sarah, my name is Pastor Gary. Nice to meet you. And Sarah looked at me and she said, I want you to hear my story. You came to my school two years ago, this very school, you handed me a ticket. I went to your girls' conference and there at your girls' conference, I met my creator for the very first time and I heard him speak to me. I heard his audible voice and there at that girls conference I gave my life uh, to him to serve him and love him and at the end of that conference your amazing wife stood on the, this stage and she held up a magazine and on the back of that magazine you said there were promises there were 50 promises that you put on that magazine and those were promises that you would stand on that if we would stand on they were God's toolbox for our life to protect us there were promises that he would He would watch over us and I stood on those promises night after night after night after night and i i prayed over them and what you don't know about my story is since i was three years old my dad would abuse me every single night he would come into my room every night since i was three years old and i want you to understand something pastor garrett that in time as i stood on those promises my dad stopped coming around And then a few months went by, and my mom came knocking on the door one night, and and she said, Sarah, who are you talking to? And I said, Mom, I met my creator at this girls' conference, and I explained everything, and I talked about the promises, and and I pray over those promises every night. And so I said, Mom, do you want to go with me to church? The Church of the Missionaries connected me to, and so she took her mom, and her mom met her creator, and her mom got saved, and her mom's story changed, and Sarah continued every night she would stand on those promises and in time her dad went with them to church her dad met her cre- his creator her dad got saved the narrative changed in the home And Sarah said, I just want you to understand something, Pastor Garrett. And I had had tears streaming down my face. And I said, Sarah, I don't know what else I can give you. I've given you everything I have. And she said, Pastor Garrett, I want you to understand. In time, as I was still talking with God and I was explaining what was going on, and I said, God, you've given me so much. What can I give back to you? And God said, tell your story. I launched the first ever Bible club in this school. It was the first ever Bible club in the country of Panama. Sarah launched it, all student-led. It was all her idea given to her by God the Father. And I said, Sarah, what, what can we do for you? And she said, all I need is a new magazine. And She pulled out the magazine and had tears streaked down the back of it. And you could tell where she had prayed every night like she told me she did. And I said, Sarah, I got a box of magazines I'll give you. I'll give you whatever you want. That is what it means when, the, when Mother Teresa says, intense love doesn't measure, it only gives. Sometimes love requires us to love more than we can feel or squeeze out of our very own being. And we must always give, and it must require us to give some more. We must be like Sarah to love those who hurt us the most. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you would be my sons of your Father who is in heaven. We must learn to love those who hurt us the most. We must learn how to love them with intense love. People are going to hurt us. People are going to persecute us. They're going to lie about us. and, And we must learn how to love them no matter what because that's what he's asking and requiring us to do. We can't be saw and light without love. They go hand in hand. Love impacts and drives the message and allows us to change the narrative before we ever open our mouths. Matthew 22 says this. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Verse 36 is where I'm reading from. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And secondly, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor. The greatest commandment is to love God. The second is to love our neighbor. Our neighbor is anyone that we encounter. He's calling us to impact the world and those around us to change the narrative. The greatest example I have is your greatest example. And that's a small video clip of what God's been doing over the last 11 years through your sacrifice that we appreciate so much. Check out this video. Tara put it so perfectly at the end of that video. We believe so much in that generation in God's purpose and His plan for their life. Tara and I are called the saturated generation of lost students, students that are forgotten about, students that are abused, students that are thrown to the wayside, students that nobody else cares about. They're the ones that I'm called to. They're the ones that are on my heart that I fight for on a daily basis. They're the ones that I will give everything I have for them because I believe in God's call and the future that God has for their life. God gave us a big heart for them. I'm not called here to Jersey anymore. Not because I don't love it, because I do. I love the allergies. <clears throat> it's my favorite. <clears throat> Good old South Jersey allergies. That's why I'm crying this morning. I'm not called here because he removed that calling and that mantle from my life, but you're called here. You're called to everyone that you encounter, every Wawa that you go to, or Dunkin' Donuts, if that's what you prefer. I don't know why, but we'll discuss that later. You're called every target, every place, every workplace, every place that you go to school. Those are the people, those are the lives that you are called to saturate on a daily basis. Those are the lives that he's asking you, driving you, challenging you, saying, will you love them like I love them? Will you impact and drive the message? Will you change their narrative when you just meet them? Will you plant a seed? Will you water it? I know this Sunday is all about Panama and all about missions, but I'm going to twist it and turn it back to you because here's the thing. What I've learned in this pandemic more than ever before is that our time is really short. Our time is really short in the sense that he's coming back sooner than ever before. And we have a job to do more than ever before, church. We have a job to do. It's not to fill the seats, but it's a job for us to change the narrative in people's lives that we encounter on a daily basis. He's asked us, Do you love me? If you do, will you also love them? Because you're his creation. You're the one that he molded and shaped, but he molded and shaped them as well, no matter how far they are away from him. But you're the one that he's tapped, placed the mantle on. Will you pray for them? Will you fight for them? Will you love them like you love me? My challenge this morning is for us to commit one more time to love him and love his creation. Let us be the salt that, that changes the lives around us everywhere we go. That's what I wanna be. I wanna be that. I want, us, I want this house to be a place that impacts the world and changes the lives everywhere you go. I want the next five years when I get to come back here and be rejoicing of all the lives that everyone in this room right now in this moment has touched and changed. Will you be a seasoning that brings out his flavor? Will you be the one that brings out his color on the earth? Will you allow yourselves to always be available no matter what? And I know it's hard. Trust me. I like that fast lane. I love that fast lane. It's my favorite, the fast lane. Quick and easy. Get out. I don't want to talk to people. Trust me. I understand. That's why the Lord created it. Fast checkout. We don't have to talk to nobody. Nobody. But maybe in those moments if we allow the holy spirit to speak to us the person next to us or around us needs their narrative changed because if we love him then we certainly are called to love them father this morning we are so thankful to be in this house father this morning we're so grateful to be in this place Father, I ask that one more day, one more time that you would challenge your house to love you and also love your creation that we encounter on a daily basis. God, that right now that you would burden us for the loss like never before. Not just the loss around the world, but the loss in the local areas that we go to on a daily basis. God, that you would allow ourselves to be used by you to change the narrative. That you would, be, you would allow us to, to plant seed, to water seed in every person's life that we encounter on a daily basis. God, that we would allow ourselves to be opened up and in tune with your Holy Spirit to speak not only into us, but through us to change those around us, to bring out your flavors and your seasoning on this earth. God, that we would walk boldly from now on and never forget to love you and love your creation more than ever. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.